If you'd open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 9, we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark. I've entitled this morning's message, Getting the Benefit of the Doubt. When we read our Bibles, uh, oftentimes, not oftentimes, but most of the time it seems though the, the world, that world seems so far away from us. I mean, when you, when you think and consider the world in which they lived, uh, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have computers, they didn't have cars. They, um, culturally, they were very different than, than we are. And, and so when we read our Bibles, it, sometimes it just seems so, so distant and so far away. And yet, on the other hand, the, the, the events and their experiences and the meanings that we find there are timeless. Um, very contemporary. I don't know if you've been reading your Bible at all lately, but some of the stuff I've been reading some of the Old Testament prophets sounds so, so contemporary when we look at what's going on in our world. One of the other things that that uh, I, I never cease to be amazed at is how honest the Bible is, um, especially when it comes to. The heroes or the leaders, you know, there's there's no glossing over their words. There's no uh, changing their actions to make them look good. It, it it's just so brutally honest. It, it, you know, when it, especially when it deals with their uh, with their great spiritual failures, it just doesn't hide any of that at all. And that is going to be the case in our text this morning. Uh, that this morning we are going to see. Uh, the disciples in the midst of uh, an incredible failure, spiritual failure. And I know that going through this series, I have to a certain extent, uh, uh, you know, uh, plucked my tongue and pointed my finger at how dense these disciples were. You know, how could they? How could they not see these things? How could they? How could they be so uh, obtuse? Uh, in their recognition of who Jesus was. And yet I think again that as we look at that, we, uh, if we were honest, often see ourselves there too. I don't know about you, but I've experienced a lot of spiritual failures. And I, and I suspect so have you. So hopefully our text this morning will, will give us hope and encouragement in the midst of, of spiritual failure and doubt. And uh, because we are really no different than these people were in many, many ways. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb or a mute spirit. Whithersoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and, and he pineth away. And I, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. If you have your own Bible, you might want to underline, they could not. He answereth him and saith, O O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? 
bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground, and wallowing, and foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since it came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst, there might want to draw on this. If you can, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst. <laughs> exactly. All things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead. Insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but prayer. Um, I want you to imagine this picture. Where has Jesus just come from? The Mount of Transfiguration. So this this glorious transformation or, or metamorphosis that, that Peter, James, and John were able to behold... Uh, and Jesus was there, uh, transformed before them in, 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 into semblances of his glory. And remember we read that uh, Elijah and Moses were there. And This is what you call a mountaintop experience. Uh, just this glory. And remember Peter, he was so terrified he didn't know what to say. So he starts you know, suggesting that they pitch some tents and, and just stay there and live there. I don't know. He, and remember the text that he just didn't know what to say. And so they were coming down from this mountain after this glorious experience. And what does the text say that they are really are confronted them? They, they confront. What is it? This, this huge crowd and, and arguing and disputing and contention. This reminds me a lot of the Old Testament. Moses went up on the mountain. Remember, he, he, he was with God on the mountain and he, he met with God on the mountain and uh, and, and, and God delivered and, and wrote down the Ten Commandments as, as well as giving Moses all of the information that we see uh, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And, and remember, he had been he was up there for 40 days and he came down from the mountain and what did he find? Remember, remember the golden calf. And, and that, that classic example. Uh, who, who was it? Aaron? No, not Aaron. Who was it? It was Aaron or Joshua? Aaron, Moses said, what's going on? He goes, you know what? We just, we, just, we just threw some gold in the fire and out jumped this calf. Can you imagine going from the transfiguration to this bickering, this arguing, this disputing? And as he came down, the text tells us, uh, verse 14, Straightway, 15, all the people, when they saw him, they beheld him, they were greatly amazed, and they began running to him. So this whole crowd, this massive crowd, sees Jesus, and they rush to him. And he asked the scribes, it's interesting, amidst this whole group, 
he turns to the scribes and he says, why question you with them? Now, what's the answer? What, why, what were they disputing over? What's the, what does the text tell us they were disputing over? Trick question. It doesn't. I suspect it had something to do with this healing or their inability to heal. Maybe the scribes were doing the, see, told you so. Who knows? We don't know what, really what the nature of this disputation was, the nature of this argument was. Probably had something to do with their inability to cast this demon, this spirit, out of this boy. And in fact, uh, look at verse 18. They could not. The father said, I brought you my son. I, I, I brought my son to you. You weren't here. And so I asked your disciples to cast this spirit out of my son who's been afflicted with this spirit since, since a young child. And they could not. They couldn't do it. It's, it's interesting, uh, if you look back at chapter 6, verse 7, what was one of the things that Jesus gave them authority and power to do? Yes, chapter 6, verse 7, He called unto Him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And here, one of the very things that He gave them the power to do, they could not. Spiritual failure. They failed. Well, the question is why? Why couldn't they? In fact, that's a question that they're going to ask Jesus later on. Why, why couldn't we? Why were we so powerless? Why could not we cast this demon out? And look at Jesus' response. Verse 19. O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. This response has always baffled me. It's like, uh, Jesus, we couldn't cast out this, this foul, mute, dumb spirit. And Jesus goes, oh, how long, oh, faithless sinner, how long am I going to be with you? It's not like he said, you know, I want you to go to preach a sermon. Uh, it's like, um, not something that simple. It's not like we wake up every morning and go perform exorcisms as a normal course of our day. I mean, give me something serious, Jesus. Well, this was, this was uh, one of the most heart-wrenching, serious things that they could do. And, and he gave them the power to do it, and they could not. And I've always, it, it's like Jesus expected them to be able to do it. Now, the question is, who is he referring to when he says, the old faithless generation? Because that's really the key to why they couldn't. Who is he, who is he addressing when he says, faithless generation? First of all, who is there? The scribes, the crowd, and the disciples. So who is, he, who is he addressing when he says, Oh, faithful generation. Is he addressing the scribes? Yes. No question about it. They, they were faithless, but they were intentionally faithless. faithless. What about the crowd? Was he, was he addressing the crowd? Absolutely. Was he addressing his disciples? Absolutely. Everybody got lumped in. 
That's why he was exasperated. They were, he was exasperated because they were faithless. Have you ever been faithless? Before we make fun of the disciples, we have, have we ever been faithless? Now, I'm not talking about salvation faith. Uh, well, I guess I am. At one point, we were faithless in terms of our salvation. And at some point, we exercised faith and faith alone. And by virtue of that, we were justified. We were made right with God. We have peace with God. And all of the merits of redemption and, 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 and justification were applied to us at that moment of belief. But I'm talking about in your sanctification. Have you ever been faithless? Have you ever doubted? Oh, faithless generation. You see, faith by, by definition implies our own, ins- our own insufficiency. I mean, if it gets right down to it. To, to, have, to exercise faith, there is an, there's an implication of, of our absolute complete inability and insufficiency. It's an awareness that we can't do it. It's an awareness that we can't live life on our own. We need Him. What does the Bible say? Galatians 3.11 The just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. When we don't, when we are faithless... Or let me put it this way. When we live in self-reliance, not God-reliance, we are being faithless. But here's what we say. God, I can handle the small things. Thank you very much. I'll live life on my own. I can handle the small things. I have the ability and the strength to do the, the, the small things. I only need you for the big things. And, and many people... Many Christians treat God that way. They treat Him kind of like a, a, a jack, a car jack that I keep in my trunk. I kind of dated myself, didn't I? When I <laughs> it, it, it's like we, 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 our faith, we treat our faith like a car jack. Yeah, yeah, it should be this, right? I only pull it out when I get a flat on the road and I need a little help lifting up the car. This was, in essence, was the disciples. They, they were living faithlessly. It, it's like, uh, I only go to the doctor when I'm sick. But the key phrase there was, they could not. And we cannot either. Keep your marker here. If you turn to Revelation chapter 3... As I was as I was studying this, I thought of I thought of the Church of Laodicea. And I think that it is it is representative of how often or illustrative, I guess I should say, of how often we live our lives. Chapter three, verse fourteen. And under the church of and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Interesting, the, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. 
I would thou art cold or hot. Then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This spew means vomit. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have, and have need of nothing. Underline that. I have need of nothing. But God says, but knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Why were they wretched? Why were they miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Why were... How, first of all, how can you not know that you... That you are in this condition. How could they not know this? What instead were they saying? We got this thing, we got this, for the most part, we got this thing taken care of. We don't have a need for anything. Boy, if there was anything, I guess, that would represent the evangelical church today, if not many Christians, and how we live our lives, and I'm including myself often, I'm in need of nothing. I can handle this. God, I just need you to be on call in case I run into something serious that I can't handle. Then I will call upon you. Then I will rely upon you. Then I will trust you. We, we go from spiritual failure now to spiritual weakness. Back in Mark chapter 9. Jesus just got through saying, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Bring this little child to me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the Spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it has cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if you can, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Why did he say, but if you can? Nobody else. else. That's why I said underline, they could not. He's already, we've already tried that. They failed, but maybe you can. All our other efforts failed, so now maybe you can. Jesus' uh, classic response, if, if, if you can, he, he's quoting this man, if you can, all things are possible for him to believe with. Now how do you, again, one of the things we lose with the printed page is nonverbal, tone of voice, how do you envision, what do you think Jesus was uh, nonverbal, or, or uh, what's the word, I'm, what, what I'm trying to think of? Oh, let me ask you this. Was he being snarky? Was he going, like Mitch? Uh, <laughs> no, I say that because he and I are far too alike in that, that respect. If you can, McFly, what do you, what do you mean, if I can? That's one option. Jesus was maybe got real snarky and uh, and said, "You you dummy! What do you mean? You're talking to the creator of the universe, and you're saying if you can." What's another option? Indignant. Indignant? <sighs> if you can, I I I tend to think, and uh, we don't know. 
I think at this point, I think Jesus was probably being very comforting. If you can. Sir, I just want you to know all things are possible to him that believeth. See, the problem was not whether or not Jesus could heal his son. That's never the problem. That's never the issue. The issue or the problem is that would he, would he believe Jesus could do it? This is what he's driving this man to. He's saying, if you can, the, 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 sir, the, the problem here is not my ability to heal this, your son. The question I ask you or that I'm challenging you with is, will you believe me? And what's another word for belief? Faith. Will you have faith in me to heal your son? And this amazing reply, this man. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said, many of our manuscripts have with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. What an amazing reply. What an honest reply. Can you hear the can you hear the desperation in his voice? This this brutal honesty. There, there's no he's not he's not trying to be church. He's not trying to be religious. He's not trying to give him the right answer. He, out of the desperation of his heart, said, "Lord, I I do believe, but help thou mine unbelief." See, what he's really saying is, he says he really does believe. He has faith. But at the same time, he doesn't have faith. Have you ever been there? I guess you've never been there. By the looks in your face, you've never been there. Worries, reservations, doubts. All mingled together with some semblance, some sense of of faith. I have faith, but yet at the same time, I don't. I don't think there's a single person in this room who doesn't harbor some kind of doubt. Oh, we mask our doubts in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we mask our doubts by saying that we, we take the, some Christians take the que sera, sera route. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. God is sovereign. He's going to do what He's going to do. So, no sense fretting. No, no sense worrying about it. In the guise of faith, that is profound doubt. That is profound unbelief. In the midst of sounding very orthodox and very faithful, that is profound doubt. To, to respond to needs and, 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 and issues in our lives, well, okay, sarah, sarah. Because the Bible never responds, the, the Bible never teaches us or models us to respond to needs that way. Does the Bible teach the sovereignty of God? Absolutely. But nowhere in Scripture does anyone respond to that sovereignty by saying, well, it's all a done deal. Um, You know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I just go on with my life and and make the best of it. It never, the, the characters never respond to God's sovereignty that way. They never respond to Jesus that way. It is a, it is a, I believe, a profound expression of doubt. 
it's, it's, it's a way that I can preserve my faith and, and, and avoid disappointment and discouragement and, and to not face my doubts and my reservations. Um, apparently, now the last time I was, last time I was in Chicago, I, I, I don't remember seeing this, downtown Chicago, apparently there's a building that has a, I don't, I don't know what you, let's see, what, what would you call it? A sky deck, I guess, or something. I've, I've seen on YouTube, I've seen pictures. And you walk out on this thing, it has a glass bottom. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been there? Have you walked out on it? Okay. You? Um, let me tell you something. There's no way you'd get me out on that thing. I believe... I mean, how long has it been there? A long time. How many, how many hundreds of thousands of people walked out on that glass floor? And, and I don't know. I, it holds. I'm sure, well, obviously, it's been tested. I believe that if I, in one sense, I believe that I, I can walk out on that thing and I'm not going to fall through. In fact, let me, let me put it this way. You could get a rhino do a river dance on that thing. And I still wouldn't get on it. There's a sense in which I believe I wouldn't fall through. But why won't I get on it? Because I still have some unbelief. Not one person has ever fallen through. There's no... Mitch is a pilot and I go up in an airplane and I know that the wings are not going to fall off. With a reasonable degree of certainty, I know that the wings are not going to fall off. And I know that as we're flying along, we start going, you know, we hear some turbulence and bouncing around. Um, I, I, I know we're not going to drop out of the sky. When I'm on a Kirsch airline, here's my, here's my, by the way, here's my advice to you. Take your cues from the flight attendants. If they get nervous, then you get nervous. If they're fine, then I'm fine. I always look to the flight attendants. We were on one flight. It was, it was just a short flight to Omaha, by the way. And it was really bad. Turbulence was really bad. And I was watching this one flight attendant, and we, hit, we started hitting the stairs, and she went, Oh, my. Uh, you know, I'm strapping stuff on. <laughs> I know. I believe. But knowledge only gets us so far. There comes a point in time when we have to believe in the sense of stepping out on that walkway. And that's what that man was saying. I, I believe this, that skywalk will hold me, Jesus, but help thou mine unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit. But by the way, the, the Bible often calls these spirits based on the malady that they had uh, produced in that person. You... you, you uh, if, if we were to look at this, uh, from what I understand, we look at his symptoms, see, it's, it's looked like a, a form of epilepsy. But clearly this was a, a foul and demonic spirit that was producing these things. 
And the Spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And, and he was as one was dead. It looked like he was dead. In fact, they were saying, he's dead. Not only did Jesus not heal him, he killed him. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Again, that personal touch, right? And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And what was Jesus' answer? <laughs> he says, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, there, there, it's amazing to me how many people, this kind, they, they think, or they, 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 they posit that he's talking about this kind of spirit. Uh, other spirits, you wouldn't have to pray. This kind of spirit. But I think in context, he's saying this kind of need, this kind of desperate spiritual need can only be addressed through prayer. Which tells me they had not done what? They had not prayed. Maybe they thought, like Simon in the book of Acts, saying, you know, just, just this is a power that was imparted to me and I'm just going to, I can use it whenever I want. He said, this kind, this kind of need can only be addressed through prayer. And many of our texts, it's interesting, for, for those of you that care, many of our best manuscripts do include and fasting. Uh, and yet, it's, a, it's hard to understand why in, in others it would be omitted. So that's why many of our Bibles include it, include the phrase and fasting, and others do not. But prayer... This is the response of a God-reliant people. This is the response of those who are faithful, not faithless. In fact, in this context, faith is the foundation for prayer. Prayer is absolutely dependent on faith. But our faith is demonstrated and applied through prayer. You see, faith makes prayer effectual and gives it patience to wait on God. But conversely, our faith is grown and cultivated through prayer. I know it's a kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? When I have small faith, I guarantee you I've had small prayers. And oftentimes we... we we, we live life faithlessly and prayerlessly. And then when, when needs arise in our lives, we're absolutely powerless. It's because we haven't prayed. And as we pray, our faith is emboldened, our faith, our faith is built. And, and, and when there's great praying, there will be great faith. Now, did anybody have any issues with any verse in here that you would, you'd want to ask Jesus, well, what about? I had one. Verse 24. And it relates to faith. Because we see so much abuse of faith. What did you say? All things are possible to him that believeth. Is that true? Is, 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 that, is that like what our public schools tell our kids that you can be anything you want to be? Um, I, could, uh, I could practice my entire life. I could never play in the NBA. No, you can't be anything you want to be. 
Is that what Jesus is saying? Anything you ask for, I'll do. Yeah, a lot is possible. Jesus makes statements in Matthew that if you say unto this mountain, if you have the faith of a mustard seed and say unto this mountain, be cast into the sea, it will be done. And he's talking metaphorically. Is that true? Do you not have any any doubt about that? You have to read it in context and you have to read in Scripture, but I'm just talking about the basic premise. Do you really believe that Jesus wants to answer your prayers? Also tells us if we ask anything according to His will, here. So there's so great segue. There are two errors that we need to, we need to avoid when it comes to faith and it comes to prayer. Okay, I'll, I'll represent this side. This side is the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. Okay. <laughs> So I, I read I read the Bible that says, "Hey, I can have anything I want. Ask and you'll receive. All things are possible to him who believes. If you just have enough faith, God is going to give it to you." I don't think anyone in here is, is over here. Here's another error over here. This is name it, claim it. This group is he ain't going to do it. And over here, we rightly condemn it. And we, and we make fun of these people. And we should. We should mock them. It's blasphemous heresy. Claiming and declaring is not prayer. So we, we rightly uh, reject this side. And yet, without a blink of an eye, we live in an equal opposite error saying, He's not going to do it. He won't do it. Why is that so bad? But this is okay. And I'm standing here not just representing, but I often stand in that place. He's not going to do it. This is an abuse of faith. This is a rejection of faith. In fact, I think the, one of the takeaways is, is it's, it's, it's not the quantity or the quality of your faith that, that, that determines whether we believe or whether we pray or whether we ask. And, and in fact, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, a tiny little seed. Uh, D.A. Carson uh, was at a conference and he shared this story. He gave this hypothetical situation. He said, imagine two Jewish fathers right before Passover. And they were told, you know, you need to put the blood over your doorway. Uh, If you don't, uh, your firstborn will be killed. And so he said, let's call them Sam and George, two real good Jewish names. And Sam puts the blood over his they both put the blood over their door and Sam and George are talking and they say, you know, boy, this is, a, this is both an exciting and scary night. It's going to be a, quite a night. Um, uh, aren't you, Sam says to George, aren't you a little nervous? Not a bit. George, George says, not a bit. I trust God completely. I have no doubts. I, I, uh, I believe that we're going to be fine and God is going to show his glory. And George says, Sam, what about you? He says, I don't know. He goes, I... I believe. I mean, I, I think that's true. But boy, you know, 
it's awfully scary to think about, you know, maybe the loss of, you know, did I do everything right? You know, what if I, how do I know? <laughs> I'm scared. I, 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 I'm uncertain. And that night, the angel of death comes through the town. And guess whose son got saved? The answer is both of them. Both of them. It's not the size of your faith. It's not even necessarily the quality of your faith, but that aspect of saying, God, I believe you will do it. We don't want to be here. I'm going to say, you know what, God, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I know that oftentimes it keeps me in that place as I ask myself, what if he doesn't? And what do we call that? Doubt. Now, I don't want to go over here. <laughs> that, would be, that would be inappropriate to go from here to here. But I need to move a little bit off this, right? We need to move a little bit off. He ain't going to do it. We, we, need, to have, we need to have more than I, I know that that glass floor will not break. We need to move off that. But lastly, let me suggest to us something that maybe is very practical. How does this man respond again to Jesus? All things are possible to him that believeth. What does he say again? Lord, I believe. What does he ask? It just dawned on me this week when I was reading this, and I've read this thing a thousand times. What was this man asking Jesus for? More faith. More belief. When was the last time we asked Jesus to give us more faith? Would you give me more faith? Jesus, I believe, but I, but I lack faith in you. Would you give me faith? God can help our unbelief. But we have to admit our unbelief. We have to be honest about our unbelief, about our doubts. God can give us faith. What is it that you are being faithless in right now? And I'm not saying you're in sin and, you know, you're... I was going to say drinking and smoking. No, seriously. What are... what? What is it in your life that you have a serious faith issue with right now? Where you, in fact, would respond, Jesus, I believe. (laughs) Help thou my unbelief. If we do not continually develop a consistent prayer life, we will experience more doubt and more unbelief. And the more we pray, the more we come to Him and ask Him for belief, give us faith, the more our faith will be emboldened. And I believe we will see, in fact, Him do more things in our lives. Let's, in fact, pray. Father, I know that for many of us, myself included, I allow the past 
to influence too much my future or my present. You know, Lord, it seems like you haven't. There's so much it seemed like you never responded to in the past that I, I guess I could say we could say it's a track record. But Lord, again, that that is that is unbelief. Lord, we cannot. I, I don't think, Lord, that it pleases you for us to start our prayers in the back of our minds going, ah, I really think you're not going to do it, but I'll pray anyway because I'm supposed to. Father, I, I think there's got to be, uh, I hate to say it, the middle ground here where we can truly believe that you are going to respond to spiritual needs that we can believe you that you're going to do it without falling into name and claim it. Lord, you've told us this, you've recorded these stories for us, not just for interesting history, but to reveal your heart and to reveal the way you work or want to work in our lives. And, and not everyone is healed. And not everyone gets exactly what they ask for. But Father, that has nothing to do with our faith. Or should have nothing to do with our faith and our belief in You. Father, help us doubt our doubts and not our faith. Why do we, Lord, it seems like, why do we give our doubts... Um, so much credit and credence in our lives and not our faith. Father, I pray that this world would not beat us down and make us so cynical and so um, apathetic that we lose the ability to exercise faith. Father, I confess how often I've lived such a faithless life. So, Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray for each one of us individually that we would believe you more. And we would, that our prayers, that we would, we would pray and we would believe and we would, uh, we, we would pray consistently and fervently and persistently and persevere. And, God, that you would grant us faith, you would grant us patience, you would grant us perseverance in our prayers and grant us faith to believe you for the needs in our lives. We thank you and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands? Praise God from whom all blessings flow.